Well, welcome back. Anything. We'll have to have you back again. Let's not make it another year and change until next time you're on the podcast. <laughs> I'll be here for number two. Now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, yeah, we'll then and we'll talk about Matrix Reloaded. <laughs> no. <laughs> welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Hey there, this is the second part of uh, the Crooked Table Podcast 100th episode extravaganza devoted to The Matrix. So um, it, it might seem a little jarring when we just kind of jump right into the middle of the conversation. If you haven't listened to the first part yet, definitely visit crookedtable.com for uh, for that episode's post. I will link to it in the show notes below, uh, as well as you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, and all the normal places. So uh, if you're just now joining us, you know where to where to start to uh, get the beginning of the, the Matrix conversation. And um, if you're listening to this conversation already in progress, welcome back. And uh, let's continue talking about The Matrix. Now, I mean, that scene, is this whole scene is so iconic. I used to have a t-shirt with Morpheus' sunglasses and one, one with Neo, with the one with the red pill and one with the blue pill. Like, there's memes, that whole, there's memes of the red pill yeah. and the blue pill. And like everything in this movie has become such a, such a reference point. Uh, that it, it's it's crazy. I mean, people talk about now, like with the the uh, oh deja vu and the glitch in the matrix is, is a thing that people now reference because everybody knows about it and all of that. Um, it's just the, the scene with it really. Lay, this is where the exposition really kicks in. Up to this point, this movie's been very uh, very confident in what it's trying to get across. It really challenges challenges the viewers, like I was saying earlier challenges your perception. There's no easy exploration explanations about the, what the Matrix is. They really build up what is the Matrix, this mystery that you're like... And this is a really key part of the marketing, too. The whole trailer is like, what is the Matrix? And then there's like, doom, what is www.whatisthematrix.com was the website for the movie and everything. And then you see the movie and they jump in and everybody's talking about what is the Matrix, this mystery of the Matrix. You're like, what the hell? What is that? I've never heard of this before. Why are we wondering what the Matrix is? I, only, yeah. I came to see a movie called The Matrix, so yeah. I'm wondering that, too. Based on that, is he going to take these that, pills? I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. Is he going to take a pill and then he's just going to be in a cot like <laughs> with withdrawals or something? I, like you never know. It could be a train spotting yeah. scenario. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> what, what? It, it really, um, it really just rolls with that whole idea of the Matrix and this guy and Neo is this like notorious hacker and Mor- Neo Morpheus, and, and that's the other thing. Like they make reference to this earlier. Like they don't talk about their reputations in the real world very much. You know what I mean? Uh, the agents, when they take um, Neo, Mr. Anderson, and they have that whole melding their face, melting his mouth together thing. Yeah. They say they, you know, where you operate as the uh, hacker Neo and you're guilty of virtually every computer crime we have a law for. And then he talks to Trinity and he's like, oh, the Trinity that, that hacked into this thing? And then Morpheus, one of the, the many consider the most dangerous man alive. They're like... FBI most wanted like level shit and stuff like that in this movie, which is crazy. Uh, and it's also, again, ties into the whole anti-authoritarian thing where these people are essentially kind of considered almost terrorists in a way in the, in the matrix reality. Yes. Which I think is ultimately a kind of turns out to be, if you think about it from a certain point of view, almost kind of problematic because this movie came out three weeks before Columbine happened, mm. and then that happened. A lot of people were like, "It's the Matrix fault," because they wore long black trench coats and yeah. all that stuff. And um, you know, they hold the whole thing where they're like, "Guns, lots of guns." 
that whole thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and that scene with them walking with them, the shootout in the hotel lobby. Like, I love that sequence. I think it's amazing. But if you watch it from without the knowing what the Matrix is, you're just like, oh, okay. So they're just two crazy people in sunglasses and black coats that just walked in and murdered a bunch of people, which is what it looks like. Yeah, they're not programmers as <coughs> people. Those those are people that are going to be fed to other people in pods now because they got killed. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they established very early on. Morpheus mentions, you know, if you're not one of us, you're potentially one of them. Um, as we you know we see later in the movie, the agents kind of taking over random people. And it's interesting. It, that's the only, and it's that's the scene where the movie really gets the most violent too. Like you see, literally, you see blood on those people as they're getting shot up and by Neo and Trinity. Mm-hmm. It's not like all the other all the other scenes before that. You're like, oh, people disappear, and it's a program, or like they're just sparring and punching and stuff. It's they are killing people. They are kind of collateral damage, I guess, kind of in the war between the uh, the rebels Humans and, and the machines. machines. Yeah, yeah, basically, but. That's what that is. What happening? It's you're watching him walk through and murder people, and it's not like a simulation. They're murdering people. Yeah. So from that perspective, it almost makes you kind of look at it like, wow, you know, you thinks about make you think about the heroes in a different light in a way, um, just because that's kind of the context for it. I, I believe in in this instant, the in order to stop the machines and to get Morpheus. They had to, they were standing in the way. Yeah. And they needed to get them out quickly so they can get to to the the it's real a, the real problem. It's a Bane situation. Yeah, a, yeah. It's a necessary evil type of exactly. deal. Exactly. If you, if you go on hand combat all the people, they could take out all those people easily. But then the agents would know and they would already be down there and yeah. they would be dead. So they had to go through with... with the guns and get it all done real quick and then to to get to the rooftop so i mean it's kind of and and even in real life situations sometimes that has to be the case too you know if they need to get a primary sus you know they need to get like a terrorist or something like that there's sometimes collateral damage and some of those people they might be people that have been dragged into the situation it's ballsy of the movie for not shying away from the violence that they're inflicting is what i guess what i'm saying oh you yeah, know yeah. What i mean like the fact that that if you look at it from an, a real world perspective that that is the case and the fact that the movie is not like sugarcoating it like yeah they're killing these people but not really it's like it's a nice death they're fine you know yeah they're like like it's bloody and, and messy and, and not like not like all robocop messy with some of the stuff in that movie but it's it's uh you know they don't shy away from that and i um you know, I, I love that sequence. It's just an interesting wrinkle, an interesting way of, of thinking about that scene. Uh, which, by the way, if you remember, do you remember the video game, The Path of Neo, that we had on, I think, PS2? That's That was yes. one of my favorite levels, because you got to actually walk, like, play a lot of these sequences from this movie. Yeah, and you could go and walk, uh, run on the wall. Yeah, that was, that was and, fun. I, so the whole do, time like, watching that, I was like, shit, I have that game. I have, my, I have a PS2 still. Yeah. I should dig that out and be like... Yeah, and, and jump into that because that that was a fun. I, I don't think that game was very well received in general, but I I liked because I like that one and I like the the one the, with the the Smiths. Yeah, yeah. You get to fight the Smiths. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, because it was it's like basically highlights to, from the trilogy from Neo's perspective. Exactly. I think because they put on Enter the Matrix and people were just like, 
what the hell? I'm in like some other story playing as Jada, Jada Pinkett. I don't want to play as Jada Pinkett Smith and this other dude. I want to play as Neo. So they're like, oh, okay, crap. You just want a game where you can play as Neo. All right, here you go. You're the one now. Yeah, congratulations. The path of Neo, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much. <laughs> You're the one. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I like both games for different reasons. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's what came into my mind watching the lobby scene. And of course, keying up to that, we have the whole thing with Neo going in there, uh, you know, saying he's not the one to go and save Morpheus and then Trinity giving her whole like hero speech and that, that, that epic moment where she's like, load us up with that whole thing where they're like going in there together with the guns, lots of guns. I already said about that. Um, yeah. So the other thing I, I want to try to transition to here that I thought was interesting with, um, Neo and Trinity, they're both very, I noticed, I noticed this before, but it really, I, you know, I wanted to make sure we talked about it. Uh, Neo and Trinity are both very kind of androgynous, you know. Keanu is a man who has kind of delicate features. Yeah, the delicate features. And then Carrie Ann Moss is, you know, an attractive woman, but she has like hard jawline. She's got like kind of masculine uh, uh, attributes as well. Yeah. And I think that's interesting that they're both kind of androgynous and in a way, especially when you consider now in the 20 years since this movie. Both Larry and Andy Wachowski have become Lana and Lily Wachowski, and they both turned out to be transgender. Yes, I think it's interesting that in this film, with the way that the two leads are, they're like it's, gender is a very fluid thing in this movie, and I think that that's obviously something that was very deliberate on their end. Yeah, I think that translates to a lot of their work, even in Sense Eight. Uh, well, Sense Eight, I think, does it even. There's more a lot of like, uh, yes. yeah, it's more blatant. But but even um, in this, the um, was it Matrix Reloaded? That's mm-hmm. the second one. Yeah. See, I don't even know. <laughs> well, they have like the whole orgy scene. That's kind of like being like everyone is having sex with whoever. Right, and then Neo and Trinity, who when they're like they're having their, you know gets intercut with their sex scene. And Neo and Trinity, like both dark hair, similar kind of, you know, muscularity or whatever. And they're like all up on each other with the only holes you really see are the the ones that from the Matrix. Yeah. And they're just like, it's like an amorphous blob of two similar looking people kind of, you know, making love and things like that. And I think that, yeah, I think I don't I, and the way that they handle that in here, because this is 99. This is when being gay was even still kind of taboo. This was a couple years out from Ellen DeGeneres is coming out, but that was a huge deal. And she got a lot of hate and a lot of crap from people because they were much less accepting then than they are now. It's interesting in that regard, how far we've come in 20 years where now, if you say something about a gay person or you use the wrong pronoun or whatever, on a transgender person, now you're a pariah, you're the asshole. Whereas 20 years ago, it would be the other way around. It wouldn't, you know what I mean? It yeah, now that it still doesn't oh, exist. Well, it's still, no, I'm not saying it oh, exists, yeah. but now that this... <laughs> closeted this, more. Yeah, this, the social norm is to be respectful and accepting of gay people and transgender people and uh, the LGBT community. Whereas back here, 20 years ago, in the 90s, every movie had jokes making fun of gay people, making fun of trans people. I mean, you got the character in The Wedding Singer, Kai and I talked about uh, on the Ace Ventura episode, how that whole twist at the end is super transphobic and basically like, you know, kind of mocking that entire community. Yeah, I mean, it's it's at the, at the time, it, Jim Carrey's reaction is very... Right comedic and funny but at the same time it's very it's dated very that, that, homophobic that sensibility well. is very dated yeah. yeah it's not yeah it's not about, at, at the time it wasn't 
seen. I mean, by LGBT community probably was, but well, at yeah, the time it wasn't seen as in the mainstream as like, well, this is offensive. It was, it was, it was a different time, but you know, here they were also able is to, Jim Carrey. I don't know. Well, it's not, it's not like a, you it's, know, it's not Jim like, Carrey is not any other comedian. I mean, you know, the year before he's mature, you had the crying game, which has a huge gender dynamic twist as well. Yes. So, um, so yeah, it did exist, but it wasn't as mainstream. It wasn't the, the people's reaction to, uh, that kind of gender fluidity, like I said, was near, not nearly as evolved as it kind of is now for the most part. Like, the, yeah. the, again, I'm talking like the generally, generally accepted social norm. Yeah, because um, more and more people started talking about it. And because more and more people started talking about it, they realized, hey, there's more of a community of people that have the same yeah. sexual preference as I do or feel that they're not... Um, you know, they, they were born a different gender. Um, and because of that, they, but because they have other people that feel the exact same way that they do as a group, as a community, they, it's easier to face issues back then though. It's like, you know, who is coming out, uh, you know, Alan DeGeneres comes out, but who, uh, all these other people are closeted, but they're right. afraid of coming out. And now someone's You like, have enough people that are someone, brave to come out, then right. you start getting a voice and people more and more get that bravery too. Right. It's right. like it's like you know, like I you're think, you're yeah. at like a like a, a, a um, like a high school dance or something and everyone's like afraid to go out and dance and then one person goes and dances and another person it's kind of like that effect. Right. I don't domino there's, effect. There's a, there's a yeah, I, guess, I think there's another effect, probably like, another like word for, it, for it, yeah, like a term, but it's yeah, it's it's the same concept, that. yeah, yeah. So, and it, I just thought it was it was cool how they they made such a took such a statement on that in the '90s when that was not cool, and they kind of snuck it in there uh, under the guise of just like the who they cast and the way that they uh, they portray those characters, you know. Yes. Um, whereas then, as you said. Ellen DeGeneres like I don't think we realize now I mean some people do but I don't I think some of us sometimes forget because we take it for granted that Ellen DeGeneres was we owe like the LGBT community owes a lot to her for, for really pushing that forward and being the one of the people bold enough to come out in that in such a public way on her TV show on her sitcom in the 90s and uh and like all the magazines and interviews and everything that really became out of that um, whereas now an actor or whatever tweets out, you know, they're, 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 you know, they're gay or whatever and trans, bisexual, whatever, and comes out of the closet and everyone's like, good for you. Live your best life. You do you. Or as then it'd be like a lot. I mean, you still get hate and shit too, obviously, but those people now will be taken down by the people that have got their back. Whereas before everybody'd be like, yeah, okay. I don't know how I feel about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, it's a real evolution with that. And this movie was, a, in, a, in a way, it's ahead of its time in kind of tackling that, but doing so in a very sly way so that Warner Brothers would be like, I don't know about all this. This is not, what are we, Netflix over here with all that? You know what I mean? Yeah, you're saying like uh, The Matrix? Yeah, The Matrix, the way that yeah. they, they, they had that theme in it's, there. It's a, it's a subtle theme. It's but subtle, exactly. Whereas yeah. with Sense8, because the world has changed, they can be like, oh, no, we're going to have gay characters, trans characters. It's all good. Whatever. We're going to have orgy Yeah, scenes. there's like an orgy every other week or whatever on that. I mean, not a week. It's not a, it's a you know what I mean? It's not yeah. aired every week to week. But another way that the, the time has changed since this movie is that um, this 1999 was the year that 
I think we first got internet in our house, like right around there. Cause I remember going online and like AOL chat rooms and whatever, and having seen people talk about the Phantom Menace, things like that. So this was, I guess around the time that the internet was really going into every home. Full speed ahead. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You've got mail and all that. Yeah. Um, oh, that noise. <laughs> what? That, that, was that? Was, that was supposed to be the, that wasn't a Chewbacca impression. Oh, oh okay. That was uh, the dial up. Connection. Oh yeah. Okay. It's like some kind of alien creature. I'm like, is that supposed to be a porg or something? Know. Oh, um, no. That that's so. It's really when kind of technology started to become an inescapable part of our culture. I mean, there were cell and 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 the movie really reflects that with the cell phones and the computers and and everything is about the internet and in technology. You know, the movie is really like the '90s were had a lot. There was like a lot of techno thrillers. There were movies like Hackers and The Net with Sandra Bullock and things like that. And uh, this was a this movie really kind of pushes that to to uh, to the extreme in a way where the whole film is about technology. You want to get out of here? You need a phone. You need to call me on your cell phone and get to a landline. Mm-hmm. You need to you know, boot up and load yourself in and plug yourself into stuff, which is like kind of almost a metaphor for like entering the matrix is very much kind of a metaphor for logging into the, the internet. Yeah. yeah. Internet. Joining part of a community where, you know, part of the system, whatever it's, uh, it's very much that. And I think it's, um, it's interesting that the, the, the film really, uh, encapsulates so much of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, a, there's a, a, a big, um, uh, theme of, of computers and technology. And like, like we said, it starts with the binary code and, has that greenish hue of the the text on the screen, and he's a programmer himself, like um, and uh, they're all programs and Matrix and different programs and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, there's it's a lot of uh, a lot of computer themes in this. Yeah, definitely. There's the whole um, the other theme that they really touch on a lot. Uh, is the harsh reality versus kind of a beautiful lie. The whole ignorance is bliss thing with the red pill and the blue pill. It's like, I think that's another part of why this film has endured so much is that it kind of asks you the question, well, what would you do? Would you would you want to be ignorant and just be like living your, quote, happy life, normal existence as part of the system or pull yourself out from that and be like eating this same goddamn goop every day and uh, being cold all the time and wearing rags basically and like the blue gray existence that is the real world here. And uh, I think that that's an interesting uh, position or moral question to pose the audience because it, it makes as much as we hate Cypher in this movie because he's got that evil goatee and you know obviously he's up to no good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not even a goatee. It's like the little it's only here. I think he doesn't have it on the sides. It's just like uh, under his chin, like the yeah. mustache, like this little, I guess it is a goatee. The goatee. Just he just has like, a little He doesn't goatee. have the sideburn just, things. No. Um, you know, he's obviously supposed to be sort of a, a devilish figure. He's kind of, he even looks kind of evil with that, with his facial hair and his bald head. Um, <laughs> bald head. People with bald head. No. Obviously, I'm not <laughs> discriminating disparag- against bald That's disparaging bald head. I mean, my hairline is, is running away from itself, no. so. Uh, I will be, I will, if I'm not careful, I'll look like Cypher too with my facial hair on my bone in, in like 10 years or less. No, and then, and then, and then you'll look evil as well. Yeah. That's, that's about right. Um, but it makes Cypher's turn sort of understandable, uh, to, to a certain degree. You know, you understand why after how many, how we don't know exactly how, how long he's been part of Morpheus's crew. We don't know, 
you know, we, we know that the reality in real world is supposed to be closer to 2199 or so they think. Um, but we don't know how long that uh, Cypher's been unplugged. We don't know if it's been 10 years, 20 years, how long he's been kind of just working for Morpheus and, you know, oh, all, he, said, all he does. He is said nine years. Did he say nine years? Yeah, nine years. Okay. So, yeah, he did. In that one scene when he's going around being like, I wish I could be there. But when they but break you. But you know, yeah, he said like for the, for I don't know, when he was talking to... Uh, Trinity, probably. I think either Trinity or Agent Smith when they were having the steak. Yeah, he's like, for, you know, for the nine, for the last nine years, you know what I've come to realize? Ignorance is... Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. So, I don't mind, Maybe, John. Maybe over the past nine years, he came to that realization and maybe he's been unplugged longer than that or... Or maybe he's only been unplugged for nine years. But they did say that they normally don't get that old. Like they normally unplug them when they're younger. Yeah. Because it's easier for them to dissociate uh, the reality from the real world or the matrix from the real world. Right. So maybe... You, you end up in a... Um, uh, what's her name? Mal situation from Inception where they were in the dream so long that she just couldn't like reconcile what was real and what was not real. Exactly. So he might just mean like nine years working with Morpheus. Morpheus, yeah. Or nine years um, just uh, that's when he realized that he doesn't want to do this and to, to be in that world anymore. He doesn't want to feel cold or, you know, whatever. It's unclear exactly, yeah. Yeah. So because he's he's older than Neo. How much older would you say? Like maybe six, eight years, maybe? Something like that. Yeah, so... Neo is supposed to be... What is Keanu? And Neo like is here? supposed to be Keanu is too like old. My age, early, mid-30s, right around. Is he's like, he's like 50, early 50s now. So early to mid-30s and then more... Uh, Cypher is probably a little closer to 40, late yeah. 30s maybe. Yeah, exactly. So if... So that's probably like when he started working with Morpheus or something. When, right. When he says that. That's a kind of a decent jumping off point for the fact that I like the um, the ignorance is bliss line translates into like the 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 uh, des- not desolation but like the the harshness I guess I'll go back to that of the real world because then you have mouse talking about have you ever had do you ever had tasty wheat like this runny gross shit sounds like tastes like tasty wheat the whole thing about chicken tasting like everything and kind of um, soon after that they talk about food a lot in this like relatively close span he talks about that. Um, and then Neo's going dri- driving to see the Oracle, and Keanu Reeves says to Carrie Moss in the movie, um, says, "I have all these memories from my life, and none of them happened." He's like, "This place had really good noodles," and I think I think that's kind of an interesting, uh, I, I, I pointed way because we 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 define so much of our, our lives, but like food is such an important thing for us. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we'll get together and grab grab lunch or whatever. Like, you know, yeah. we sit down around a table and talk about our day. and have, It's like a communal experience for us. So it's so much about how, how we define our life is just by the time that we, how we spend our time eating food and what we, you know. And the interactions that happen. So I, yeah, exactly. So I think it's interesting that they use food to really kind of, uh, to really kind of get that point across of, uh, of the disparity between this experience and this experience, and not only that, I like that really that exchange in the in the uh, in the car with Neo and Trinity because 
they're trying to build towards the romantic end, like the, uh, so the Sleeping Beauty moment at the end. Mm-hmm. But it, until later in the movie, after Morpheus is captured and she's like, you know, I, and since I am the ranking officer on this ship, I believe you can go to hell. That whole moment where she joins him on the mission. Mm-hmm. Up until then, they don't really have a lot of one-on-one conversations. Like there's a beginning early on with the, in the club, but there's a long span of the movie where... It's really more focused on the bromance between Neo and Morpheus. They actually spend the most time together for like act pretty much all of act two. It's Neo and Trinity barely talk to each other. Yes. Um, And I think that moment also is kind of key to keeping that relationship through line going throughout the whole uh, throughout the whole story. Uh, And there's also that line that I really love uh, where um, Morpheus is walking with Neo through that test program and it says about how everybody's like so hopelessly dependent on the system i thought that would really it's like i like that's the realness i wrote down are you talking about <laughs> because that's like so true about how we're talking about the system and uh, how, are you talking about with the one with the the woman in the red dress right exactly yeah exactly yeah because um, everyone is like you said earlier everyone is thinking about where to go to what to do i have to go to this this and this and, this and such job we're all wearing the same things um and uh, we're tied to the system. Right. And dare we go out of the system, we yeah. won't survive. Right. And then you can look, you can read that a million different ways, yeah. whether that's like, oh, I decide to, you know, be gay or, or you know, pursue a different lifestyle. I, I, my parents want me to have kids and I don't want to have kids. I want to live my own life and make my own decisions. I don't want to work a nine to five job. I want to start my own business. Like you could read that so many different ways, Mm -hmm. that statement of like being part of the system and, uh, you know, you don't want to follow the norm. You want to kind of go off the grid and and not off the grid, but go off the beaten path is a better, that's a better phrase for that. Um, and, and, and live your truth basically sort of thing. Um, so instead uh, of the monotony of, of, uh, life. Exactly. Exactly. Kind of have, um, make, you know, live your life with passion and things like that. And have a little bit more excitement and spontaneity instead of, uh, uh, you know, just a routine schedule. Right. As we, as we touched earlier. Right. Exactly. Um, one thing about this movie that I mean, well, I, I love the, uh, the action, like even when Smith and Morpheus meet, like you understand the, the act two focuses so much on developing Morpheus as a guide for these other characters that when he's taken, you really feel the impact of, oh shit, now what are they supposed to do? This is like their leader, essentially. Yes. Um, that when Smith and Morpheus meet, you understand those characters, you understand what they're doing, you understand, uh, you know, with all the combat in this movie, really, and all the action, you, you, you know who, who the players are, why they're doing what they're doing, and you can see the movement happening. Like the camera stays still so people can fight, you know what I mean? Uh, it's none of this like Michael Bay quick cut bullshit. It's like you know where they are. You have the uh, geography of the place. They say so. You know, one of the big tenets that I've heard on and on again about how to direct action is you need to you need to establish a sense of place. If your audience doesn't know where these characters are in relation to each other or in relation in relation to their environment, mm-hmm. they're not going to be as invested in it because they're not going to. You know, it's just going to look like a bunch of jumbled, cobbled together footage. Yes. It's not going to feel like a true sequence. And I think this movie really uh, focuses on character first. I mean, that's like we said, there's through, throughout like the first two thirds of the movie, there really isn't that many. There's action, but it's sprinkled throughout until it becomes like a full fledged action movie, like the last what 40 minutes or whatever. Then it's just like, you know, 
the lobby the, the lobby fight, the, ro- the rooftop fight, the helicopter to go get Morpheus. I think it's even less than forty minutes now. Yeah, it's like twenty maybe, minutes. Yeah. Well, but then you get even in the, the combat, the thing with uh, Smith and Neo in the subway, the chase scene to get to like. There's a lot. It's like, it's like basically constant wall, act, constant wall to wall action. The last like thirty, forty, whatever minutes, like that last act. Um, and you know they, they they earn that throughout by establishing the characters first and building to it. Um, and I also think in a lot of ways this movie kind of set a new standard for Hollywood stars doing their own stunts because when you when the camera's on Keanu Reeves and Hugo Weaving doing fighting, you know that's Keanu Reeves and Hugo Weaving, Hugo Weaving or Carrie Ann Moss or Lawrence Fishburne up on wires and shit. Yeah, you know, exactly. and Lawrence Fishburne was only a few years out from his. Oscar-nominated uh, role playing Ike Turner in What's Love Got to Do With It. So he's not an action star. He's a dramatic actor. None of these people, I mean, I think Keanu Reeves, I don't even know if he was really so uh, so much of an action, I don't even know if he was really into martial arts at all at this point, or if maybe since this movie he kind of kept it up, because obviously now he's John Wick also. And yeah. So, so I, I wonder if um, this was kind of the movie that like, made him realize that, oh, this martial arts, this is a good training for me, or if it was a part of his life before that. I don't know. But um, I think that's, you know, the, after this point, I think a lot of stars probably were like, oh, man, my agent says that I have to learn. I have to go train for six months to do this fight sequence and stuff, not just be in shape, but like actually do the, some of the stuff that I'm supposed to do. Yeah. What a bunch learn of choreography. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, a lot of Hollywood people were not Hong Kong. They did that all the time. Jackie Chan and all these people learned how to do the, the moves and stuff. Um, but that didn't really happen well, before they, they, the Matrix here. Well, they they knew how to fight prior. Some of the actors they just they just learn. Well, most of the actors they just learn the choreography. So it's right. like dancing, pretty much. Unless you had like a a, a Van Dam or a Seagal who are already athletes in yeah. a way. Uh, like even Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like you watch those movies, those action movies, with Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was a bodybuilder, so he had the physique and the muscles. But he's not like doing kung fu for most of these holding up um, um, shooting things. It's just like, you know, it's not like it's not literally as brute force. It's not. Yeah, it's not as like as the, the, like the, the agents. agents. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or the Hulk yeah. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. It's, he's um, there's no there's not as much skill involved. And uh, I think the, the Matrix is a is a tremendous turning point where, you know, regular actors had to learn how to become action stars in a way. Um also, I like that that uh, I like that action uh, that type of like shooting action better, where it's just it's not like the the Jason Bourne like right. cut like very very quick fast paced. I don't know if it's because a lot of like those are in like close quarters, and maybe when it's like you know at close quarters like say in a room or in a house or something mm-hmm. it's maybe they're, they're like oh it would be cooler if we do like fast and cut pace or whatever and, um, but if it's like out outside or on a rooftop or in like a dojo or something maybe they want to go and do like no like quick shots just like the you know just get the whole image with the two of them fighting right you know yeah, I don't know if that has anything to do with with them choosing that, but I, I like I like seeing the movement instead of it cutting back and forth, because then it, yeah, it feels I like agree. it's not. It feels it like there's be, no it, technique. It's inauthentic, is what it is. Yeah, it feels like there's no technique. It's just the the person that you give props to is the editor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. 
Basically, you don't. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah, exactly my point. Um, I, part of another thing that why I I think the sequels kind of suffer is that um, the entire ten, the entire crew of this ship, with the exception of the main people, is killed off, and the only and t- not even Tank carries over. And I know part of that was behind behind the scenes. Like I think Marcus Strong wanted a certain amount of money or was like a pain in the ass on set or something like that. But I really like that character and it's a bummer that he got set up here and rather than recast, they just had him, I guess, die from his wounds that Cypher inflicted on him or whatever. Is what they That's what they said, said in interviews and stuff. I think they were just like, yeah, fuck that guy. He was annoying to deal (laughs) with on the set or whatever. I don't know. Um, But uh, then, you know, I don't like the way that that goes because I thought Tank was a really endearing character in this. Uh, I thought that brought a lot to it. He had a lot of energy He's like, it's a very exciting time and like things like that. Uh, I thought he was really great there. And then the tease for Zion, I think, also backfired because he makes Zion sound really cool. It's like, oh, you know, the center of the earth where it's still warm. And then you do Zion, it's all like, I was like, oh, man. Uh, I think Zion, <laughs> Zion in the sequels is actually the most boring scenes in the movie or set in Zion in the sequels, in my opinion. Um, but, um, but yeah, so the tank thing is also kind of a bummer. I, I really liked his character. Uh, in that, I mean, moving over, shifting my notes over. That was the, <laughs> you might have heard my pages there. Uh, <laughs> so we talked about how Smith is becoming more human. Uh, uh, I like the uh, the the scene where there there's a whole sequence, and I know we quoted this a lot growing up. But the whole Smith holding Morpheus is like, I must get out of here. I must get free. That whole thing, yes. and who he's cracking under the pressure. Uh, of being in the matrix and becoming more human sort of uh, in in reaction to that. Um, but he makes an interesting point about how the matrix, this version of the matrix has been redesigned to like, uh, and he mentions, you know, the first matrix was this, like almost hinting at like the fact perfect. that there were other, yeah, but he hints also at the fact that there have been other versions of the matrix, which yeah. is interesting. Um, but he talks about the late nineties as the peak of our civilization. And he talks about evolution, like the dinosaurs, um, and about how we, we define our reality by our suffering, uh, by misery and suffering. Yeah. I think that's kind of a profound and thing. Some, they said that he said that the Matrix uh, was more believable when that was incorporated. Right. Uh, when when it was a perfect world and nothing bad happened, then they started to question if something was wrong. Right. And so. I think, you know, you have that a lot of... A lot of people are like that today. They start getting antsy when things are going too well because they're waiting for the the other shoe to drop and like, all right, something's gotta go. Something's gotta go bad to you know nothing could be going this well. You know what I mean? Like people tend to like self sabotage or whatever. It's it's interesting. It's an interesting idea to ponder whether we do you know we need to be a certain amount of upset with things or just depressed or angry or whatever frustrated in order to like because a lot of times you know. Every people uh, people do this to all varying degrees, but uh, I think pretty much everybody at some point manufactures drama. Whether you're making a big stink over nothing, over some little bullshit thing, or someone says something to you and you react a certain. But it's like you know, it's it, you're like looking for reasons to be pissed off. It's almost like you do, um, like you do define your reality by your misery and your suffering. Uh, and I and I like how he was uh, he's. Tank explains the um, that they're hacking into, they're breaking into Morpheus's mind, and it's like hacking a computer. And then the movie kind of continually, whether it's Smith kind of freaking out about you know being in the Matrix and how much he wants to get the hell out of there, 
or you know, Tank explaining, uh, kind of drawing parallels between the humans and the machines. It's ultimately like we're not so different, you and I. It's like that kind of thing a little bit. Yeah. And I think that's a, a, an interesting thing. Like the way the more they're around each other, the humans and the machines kind they, of become what's like this, symbiotic. Yeah, they yeah, kind of like find a, they find like a middle ground between the two, where the 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 robots are becoming more human, the humans are becoming more right. robotic, exactly, or meth- methodical. Right, I guess, which is in turn. You get that's another theme. I think that also plays into something like Blade Runner, where the rep. I don't know if you've seen Blade Runner, at least not recently. I probably should have at some point. Well, the replicants like have like a lot of human characteristics. Then you have Harrison Ford's Deckard, who's like very kind of cold and unfeeling, almost robotic, and it's kind of they play with that dynamic a lot too. There, Um, you know, the whole thing. I feel like that whole scene with Morpheus and Smith is such a showcase. For Yugo Weaving in I general. Think, I think because one of like the, the agents are hanging around the humans. You know, if you hang around someone enough, you're going to become them. Right. So they're hanging around uh, the humans. So they're becoming more and more humanized by... That's why he says like he feels like... You know, like being infected. Yeah, by it. he's being infected by it, and he calls us a, a cancer of this planet, and they're the cure. Yeah, and 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 on the uh, on the flip side, the people from the real world are trying to um, think and and move more like them in a way, so they survive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, Trinity has to learn how to fly a helicopter by having it uploaded, the up knowledge uploaded to her. It's like we're having skills and stuff uploaded into our consciousness and they're developing human emotions. It's, yeah. it's, it's weird. It's like we're starting to flip places. Yeah. Um, and, you, you know, you can think about, I was thinking, I was, I was thinking about like, how, oh, how does she like know like the model of the helicopter? Well, you know, they probably uploaded all of the models of helicopters and cars and, and guns and all this stuff into their heads, so they know all the, the names of them. Need, yeah, yeah. And then if they're like, "Oh, I see, th- this is that model, this is the 2015 model or whatever," you know, they know it because they had that previously uploaded. And then he can go and pick that file and load it in instead of loading how to drive every single helicopter or car. That's that's a good point. Whatever. You upload the table of contents of the book, not necessarily exactly. every single chapter. So yeah. they know like, oh, I want chapter 27 of this of this book. And then you just go and you pick that knowledge and you put it in. Yeah. Instead of otherwise you'd spend hours learning how to drive everything. It's like Trinity in the chair with her eyes kind of fluttering, and then Trinity on top of the rooftop with her eyes fluttering. She's like, "Let's go!" I love yeah. that. That's so it's cool. like it's like you have an avatar that's in the matrix. Yeah, exactly. And you have that avatar, and you upload skills or whatever to it, and then and avatar is the perfect on, perfect way to say it because avatar does that same kind of thing, where his consciousness is being put into this this like. Basically, body that was built for him. Oh, in Avatar. Yeah, but it's like in, that in terms of computer terms. But it's like yeah, but even, even the movie Avatar I mean, delves into that. Yeah, uh, that concept of the your consciousness and your body are not the same thing. Uh, so it just then, so happens that they look exactly the same, but they don't have to. Right. I suppose they could be anybody. Well, it's the residual self-image, right? Yeah. When in real life, they look like their hair's all jacked up. They could have all acne and stuff, and then you plug in, you're like, look, I'm awesome and buff, sweet. Yeah. 
Um, and that's something I reference. Like I reference residual self-image all the time. Like, like in terms like the mouse guy, like, yeah, he's small, but in the matrix, he could be really, really strong. Yeah. He looks really cool and stuff. Yeah. If he he had the capacity to, it all depends on the, your mental skill, I think more than, more than your, your, because muscles don't mean anything in that world. Right. Just like he says, you think that's air you're breathing now? It's a great moment. There's nothing like everything. Like everything you've, everything you've eaten, all the, all, everything you've experienced, everything that you think is true in terms of like, you know, strength and, 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 uh, it's just all make believe. Right. So it's, it's all, it's all programming. Yeah, exactly. It's all programmed to make you believe more in, in the matrix. Programming well, from the matrix or society, depending yeah, how you want yeah, to read it. Exactly, yeah, because, I mean, that's another good question. Like, though the real world, when it was, before it was, uh, you know, before it was, like, destroyed, did it have the same attributes as the matrix or was it a completely different they said they modeled it after. I don't know how much like, they changed. Like, yeah. did the food taste that way? Right. They don't know. They, did the food taste anything? Know. Did they even they have They didn't know food? what to make chicken taste like. That's why it tastes like everything. Yeah. The, the dude says. Yeah, um, I don't know. But, like, did... Yeah, I guess so. Um, and then Morpheus. They saved Morpheus. All the action stuff happens. We're kind of haphazardly jumping around, but... Uh, but my notes written as I was watching the movie. So, uh, <laughs> they saved Morpheus. He jumps up and leaps into his little bro hug with Neo. Um... Then and, and and again, one of the one of my favorite uh, moments in the movie was the uh, the helicopter crashes. Morpheus like they drop Morpheus, so he's you know not by Morpheus, not to his death, to the rooftop. Yeah, uh, that would be like counterproductive. And then uh, the helicopter starts going down because Smith shoots the uh, engine, fuel's leaking, and Neo like insanely decides, you know what? I know I'm not the one, but I'm gonna somehow. Pull up this helicopter. I guess to slow no, it down. No, I think whatever. I think he, he he reacted instinctually because he, he cares about her. No, too. yeah, he he did that because he he figured that maybe she would, which take is the what rope she does. Out. Yeah, and that and scene, the whole that whole moment where the the helicopter hits the the uh, the building, mm-hmm. and it, it but first before it explodes, the like the like ripples on the, on the building so cool such a great idea yeah. such a there's so much of visual imagination uh and like just creativity in every inst in every element in every instance in every moment of this movie and uh I, I, the little touches like that they didn't have to have the the thing ripple it could have just exploded but that just reflects that hey they're in a program this is what happens and then the actual consequences follow yeah and then and then they got the shot of Carrie and Moss swinging away from the explosion and uh, right into, into the, the glass. glass, which yeah. obviously they just had like a piece of glass and the camera behind the glass was like shattered in a certain way. Yeah. And uh, that's so cool. It's such a great, so many great ideas in this movie. Uh, we're kind of winding down here. I like the Western homage in the subway fight that the newspapers blow by instead yeah. of tumbleweeds. It's very clearly they were framed, but like behind Neo and you see Smith in like the far a, end like of the a, frame yeah, and then like reverse. Yeah. I love that. That whole, uh, that whole scene is, is, is amazing. Um, I also noted that it, you only see them disappear into the phone for the first time, like at the end of the movie, like we know that they get out cause they, you know, they pick up the phone, um, like they they pick up they pick up the phone. You mean in, when in the, the matrix? Uh, when I mean when, when they Neo exit does the matrix. It. Well, no, Morpheus does it. 
Morpheus does it. And oh, we yeah, kind of yeah. see Morpheus go zoom into the Matrix or whatever. Yeah. Uh, into the phone and then waking up. Uh, kind of, I guess, logging off that session in the yeah. Matrix. If we're yeah. using this basically a computer program, a computer game, almost. Um, because every time they do it before, it's like they cut to something else or like the camera's revolving around the group like as they're about to pick up the phone and then they're there in the Matrix. So, you know, you never see them. And again, that's because creativity, like necessity being the mother of invention, they, they save that kind of digital effect for that one instance yeah. when, you, when you need to see now, it. When, uh, do, can, can Neo be killed in the Matrix? I mean, he is, and then comes back. No, I mean, like, he's after digital that? Jesus, basically. Can he be killed after, though? He can't, right? In the Matrix or in the real world? In the Matrix. I don't, uh, I don't know how they would because he stops bullets and stuff. Well, because he's like fighting like the ghost people and stuff. But it's like, can, no, and there's, can there's he no, be killed though? And because of that, I think because the whole movie mentions at one point, the body can't live without the mind. But, but the technically... There's no, there's no stakes maybe in the sequels as much because you're like, all right. He already transcended his mind yes. though. Yeah, the the whole the whole limiting factor of the other characters, and Neo before he gets killed is that a part of them still believes that the Matrix is going to cause their mind harm. Right. So because they didn't have that sense of Zen, they are going to be killed. But if you have that sense of Zen, and you become one with the Matrix. Not the forest now. Come on. Oh, in in terms it is. If you if you realize that, hey, this this is all like I guess make believe. You can kind of say this is all program that I'm been uploaded into, and then and my past experience. Like like say you put like tank or or dozer in there. Yeah, they would probably be okay with it because they didn't grow up with it. But all these other people grew up in the matrix. They have those implanted memories. So that drags them down on transcending the matrix. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because they have that. It's like, like, like he's like, oh, I used to eat there, you know? Right. Like once, like, does he say that after he, after he gets killed? When Morpheus tells him, you know, you're faster than this. Don't think you are. Know you are. And then like at the end of this movie, he's like, I know that I'm invincible in the Matrix. Yeah. I mean, okay, I'm invincible in the Matrix now, I guess. It's like once you, you know, it's like uh, you kind of think it into reality. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think that, that's a good point. That also, that's a, also a good life lesson, too. If yeah. You think it, you, you kind of touched on this earlier as well. But um, be the change you want to see in the world, that kind yeah. of thing. It's like, yeah, if you. Yeah. Um, but that's another thing. Like when he gets killed, is he's not Neo anymore, he's the one. He's there's that triumphant music that he, happens too. No, he, I feel like he's he's like, not Thomas Anderson. He's anymore. like his soul, like his energy, well, has, he, has been reverberated back to right, life through right. the kiss or whatever. Right. And because of that link, because um, maybe you know when you you die, your mind is still active, even after you're dead mm-hmm. a little bit. Your mind is still. Um, your mind is still like, it's still, there's still, your, your mind's the last place to go. Right. Now, when Trinity kisses him, his mind's still active. That anchors him into the real world. Ooh, she's just constant, like lost. Yeah. Again, she another anchors, lost reference. She anchors him to the real world and brings him back to life. 
once he's brought back to life, it's essentially his spirit that comes back to life. Right. Not Neo with memories and all these things that are that are tying him down to the Matrix. Now he's anchored in the real world. Right. And and now he's not any more different than Tanker Dozer that grew up in that world because he's been anchored to that world now instead of the Matrix. So he switched. Sense? Yeah. He so switched he switched his, his perspective from That's the Matrix to the real world, and and because of that, I didn't think of it that way. That makes a lot of sense. And actually. because of that, it's a spiritual allegory. Able, so much he's of this movie able is to that see way. the code for what it is. So when he wakes up. He he doesn't see the agents. He sees the code, code. of the agent. Yeah. So then, subsequently, that they're going forward when he's in the Matrix, he sees the code of the Matrix. Exactly. Um, uh, he does when he wakes. He he does seem way more at peace. He's not right before that. He's like, "Get me the hell out of here!" And he's running around. He's all super nervous. And then not only is he not, he's he acts like more imbued, like the agents. Right. He's he in, he's, he easily fends off Smith with no problem, uh, without even like really moving. He literally destroys him from the inside out. And then when he comes out. You get that great shot of, of Hugo Weaving, like part of Hugo Weaving's face, literally screaming as it flies past the camera, which I think is, again, really and you, and you creative imagery. To, you have to think, at that point in the movie, both characters are as far apart from each other as possible. They've completely switched roles at this point. Right. The other one... Uh, you know, Agent Smith is is just usually like straight to business, um, you know, just robotic in in sense, no, no emotion. You know, men are and then dead. and and Neo's like, you know, wizard, get me the hell out of here. Well, he's like freaking movie, out. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. But he's like showing emotion. Then they switch. Now Neo is cold face, you know, stone cold face, and. Agent Smith is showing frustration. Well, it's not even... Yeah, exactly. And he starts... They, You know, they completely swap roles. It's not even like stone cold face. It's like he's literally like yeah. at peace. He does a, a deep sigh and it's very... It's very... He's very... Um, he's, it's almost like a very Buddhist kind of like... Yeah. Like, like a meditation thing. He just straight up jumped into a dude, popped out of the dude. And he's just like... The, the walls kind of reverberate when he stands there. And uh, it, it, it's it's really, you know, it, go, it underscores the fact that spirituality is such a key in this movie. Um, and then, of course, he gets out of the Matrix just as they turn the EMP on uh, to stop the Sentinels and things like that. And we have our kiss. And then, yay, Neo saved. He's the one, for sure. After spending the whole movie, he's the one. I'm not the one, Trinity. He told you exactly what you needed to hear. How could he die? He's not the one. And then Morpheus like, he's the one. Oh, with the music <laughs> and everything. Yeah. And then Neo does his whole thing about afraid of us, afraid of change, anything's possible, which feels like it's speaking directly to the audience. And he flies off doing his Superman thing, mm-hmm. as Link would say in the in the uh, in the next film. It's it's like a piece of literature. It's a philosophy much. course mashed into a sci-fi movie too. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, there's there's so much. It's such a rich experience that now watching it, it, it I still notice new things about it to the point that I had four pages of notes. Do you think they're gonna make? Like revamp the Matrix. They've talked about it. There's been talks and rumors or whatever about or continue the Matrix in the same timeline. That's what I've heard. I've heard initially there was reported that they, Warner Brothers was interesting and interested in doing a Matrix reboot, whatever that means these days. And then one of the screenwriters attached to it came out and said that 
that they, you know, nothing's happening just yet, but they're, they're very much interested in telling more stories in this universe, which to makes, makes sense to me with the understanding that the same continuity and all the stuff with Neo Trinity and Morpheus happened. And then whether they like pick it up from there year decades later when or whatever, older or whatever. Whether, when they're, when they're older or with doing like force awakens style where like that happened, but we're focusing on new characters. There was even rumor going around about, they wanted Michael B. Jordan to lead it for some reason. And one story came out saying, speculating that they were maybe thinking about like a young Morpheus story or something. Like, I don't know if they would do, I would prefer personally not hope, hope they wouldn't go like the prequel route. Yeah. I mean, I saw solo and it's fine, but I could have done without that movie. I'd rather yeah. you just focus on new stuff yeah, and exactly. pick up 20 years later, bring back maybe the same actress as the Oracle or whatever. You know, it'd be and cool just if have it had... kind of in real time. Um, maybe the peace between the robe, the machines and the humans. It's already kind of shaky when it starts. Maybe it finally breaks. Something happens and the peace ends and it starts all over again. And they have to go into the Matrix and do some shit. There's so much they could do with this world. I think the, the, the only way of them being able to do it is take all three. As a package yeah, deal. you have to. As it's, flawed it's, as the other two are. Right. <laughs> so, well, I mean, you don't have to reference every little thing. Did you know there was werewolves and You know, it would be cool if, uh, if, if um, you know, Agent Smith ended up getting caught in the program of the Matrix or something. Uh-huh. And then now he became like an older man. He emerges like twenty you years know, old, like, like, he, like Tom like Hanks, he is, Castaway style. You know, like, like he's I've the age he is now. So long, Mister Anderson. Oh, tough! But I finally found a way out. Nice to finally meet you again. Or nice to finally see you again, Mister Anderson. It was inevitable. <laughs> I would escape. I think most of these actors would love to come back if the Wachowskis are involved. Now, if it's a bunch of, it's a bunch of like. It's, if it's a bunch of crap thrown up there with by another team, if it's a different team that but it's not terrible, I still don't think Keanu and stuff because he said he would only want to be involved if the Wachowskis are writing and directing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what we I learned know today about is the other no, no. What we learned today is go watch the Matrix if you haven't seen it for some reason and now you know everything about it. So sorry. And if you uh, and if you, if have, you have yeah. seen it, you should go back and you'll find things that go blind buy it on Amazon. It'll make you love it more. Go blind buy it on Amazon on Blu-ray and then watch it over and over and then you'll love it as much as us. Uh, and also, Freddy's gonna needs to go watch the Matrix sequels because he needs to brush it up on no, it. No, I don't want to <laughs> pretend they don't exist. <laughs> If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com slash guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of crookedtable.com. All rights reserved. Z-R-O-K-E-D. 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 Z-R-